Hey everybody, welcome back to this podcast. It's been a while, I know I've been away from, uh, uh, I haven't released anything for almost a year, so slightly less than a year. And there's a variety of reasons, I had some personal stuff to deal with, uh, work, new job, a change of cities, yeah, it's quite nice. But overall, um, here we are back again. I'm really excited about this particular one because um, I'm starting it off on International Women's Day. And if you've been following my previous podcast, you understand that I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for feminism, for women's rights, especially women in entertainment and women in pop culture. Today, we're going to talk about something that's uh, related to that, which is Reality Girl. And so let's get into it. I'm, I'm really happy to have some amazing people on this podcast today and uh, let them introduce themselves. So here we go. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for saying yes to doing this podcast. I'm really excited to have you guys here. Uh, thank you, Kaya, for organizing this. I know it's a Saturday and you guys are probably, you know, I know she said you guys are introverts, but everybody has plans. Even introverts have plans. They like to sit at home and have a Netflix chai session. So I'm not going to take too much of your time. I am quite excited to talk about Reality Girl, but I also want to know more about you guys. So let's let's go into this. First of all, I'd love to know who's on the table right now. So who am I talking to individually? And, and when you talk about who you are, Tell me what you guys do as well. What's your passion? And and creatively, what's your input uh, in the comics world? What are, you, what are you guys doing? Hi, Anthony. I'm Abbas. I'm the CEO of Uptera Digital. Uh, I'm actually a 20-year uh, veteran, veteran of games and animation within Pakistan. I've worked on everything from Tomb Raider and like basically I worked on producing the, I was an outsourcing producer for Tomb Raider at some point. Uh, I've done everything from SpongeBob games, I've done casino games, uh, done initial forays into VR as well. So I built some multiplayer experiences on that. And I very recently, a few years ago, I produced a show called Burka Avenger season three and uh, four. Uh, my specialization basically, or what Optera was all about was basically using transmedia and gamification as an agent of change and use it to basically um, work on solving social challenges. Uh, a lot of this, like when you look at social challenges, you're looking at essentially things from uh, things of issues of gender parity all the way down to um, addressing issues of economic inefficiencies as well. All right, um, Anthony, hi. Uh, thank you so much for having us in your podcast. This is Chaya. I've been on your podcast previously as well, and I had such a great time. But for those who have just tuned in who don't know much about me, um, I have been doing content writing since I was about 14, 15 years old. I've been a geek my whole life, basically. I've grown up uh, reading comic books, watching uh, all these really, really old, now um, cult classic television series. I love gaming, um, anything and anything that uh, relates to geek culture, I'm in it. And um, what I'm most known for in the circle is my uh, contributions to Kamala Khan, uh, Miss Marvel. I helped shape the character, helped mold her story, helped the team where you know where it was needed, where they needed to bring that Pakistani flair. Now with Optera, with uh, with the team, we basically we've just taken all our collective experience and our love, basically, for nerd culture, for geek culture, which I really love. And I, you know, we just bring that, we imbibe that in all that we do. And I think, you know, with our uh, future projects and with the projects that we're currently going to share with you, um, you'll get to see more of that. So I am super, super excited to share uh, with the world and with you. 
Uh, hey, Anthony, I'm uh, Shesha Ahmed. I'm the, uh, one of the content specialists at Optera, and uh, currently I'm using transmedia and content and games as a medium to try and bring some change in society. And uh, I've always been uh, a comic book fan for years, but like Reality Girl has been like the first actual comic or comic-based uh, medium that I've actually worked on personally, uh, content-wise, and it was um, a pretty different experience from what I've actually been doing because it was a completely new experience for me and uh, couldn't be happier as to how it's turned out. Some of my other passions are like music and games and flying, so uh, I fit right at home here. Speaking of first-timers, uh, <laughs> uh, hi, my name is Zibi Lushan. Um, I, I'm an illustrator and a comic artist working at Optera. Um, I'm basically fresh out of the oven. I've been wanting to do comics for the last seven, eight, nine years, and I've been pretty dedicated to it, so it's kind of a fun slash anxious moment for me right now, because this is my first published work. Um, I'm really passionate about storytelling, particularly in the mediums of comics, so it's a bit of an exciting moment for me, Anthony. So this is what I really like about our team. So there's like this really nice, um, fun little balance. We've got two first-timers and then two semi, one semi-veteran. I wouldn't call myself a veteran by any means. And then we have like the super veteran, which is a boss. Which, so I really like this. We've, you know, it's just this coming of all these different backgrounds, all these you know different experiences, and you know, of course, each of us then just brought this, you know, this thing, this individuality to the company as a whole, and I, I really like that. So hopefully our products also reflect that, especially Reality Girl. Wow, that's amazing. I feel a few batteries burning here because there's so much um, so much talent that I'm talking to and so many veterans. I'm, I'm really happy to have you guys on this podcast. Okay, so the second question I have, it, it deals more with the current controversy, but I think this controversy has been around for a while. It's just that I think social media has given it more more of a voice or more volume what are your guys thoughts on the female superhero i don't mind you guys elaborating and you can take as much time or as little time as you want to talk talk about this i really want to hear your thoughts on this the current um, environment is ripe for it but at the same time as you know there's a lot of controversy and so what are your thoughts as creators developers writers uh, as as the talent behind comics you know, I'd like to hear what you have to think and what you have to say about that. Um, the current trend in uh, comic book superhero, especially when it comes to women being portrayed in comics, is a lot better than uh, what it was um, 30, 40 years ago. I started reading comics, I think, officially with Uncanny X-Men number 181. Uh, by that time, Claremont had pretty much set the tone for his run. Um, one of the most, and I've actually went back and I read back a lot of Claremont's issues as I got older. Uh, one of the most interesting things when you look at Claremont's work uh, was the undoing of a certain story in Avengers 200, where essentially um, Carol Danvers, um, the current Captain Marvel, uh, was basically her story was so badly written, and she was practically raped and impregnated, and when you read it from a Claremontian perspective, it was horrible. It's one of the worst stories that's ever been written, and somehow a bunch of men thought that this sci-fi rape fantasy story was okay. Uh, Claremont basically, I think, around issues around 160, 170, was able to readdress uh, that. But the most interesting about Claremont's run is that uh, 
he had two very good women editors uh, that were working with him, uh, Louise Simonson, or Louise Jones at the time, and Anne Ossenti. And a lot of people say that, you know, Claremont empowerment of women is based just on Claremont alone. Most people don't realize that having an inclusive team develop a product or develop an idea or a story is very important. The biggest misfire with Avengers 200 was that it was just a bunch of guys thinking telling such a story was okay. And you ask any woman, you ever ask her to read that story, she'll well, what the heck is this crap? Um, in the current climate, as we sort of follow uh, the way women are being portrayed, there was a uh, negative downward spin for about two years uh, post-1994 in the comics industry where uh, the bad girl thing came off and that shaped a lot of the minds and attitudes of uh, current comic readers. I'd say that basically what you find the foundation of what you call comic skate today comes from that little group. Um, but given the way uh, Marvel and DC have made some amazing turnarounds and the way women are being portrayed, uh, I, I'm quite amazed. I think Captain Marvel right now, the current form that was, uh, what's her name, Kelly Sue? Yeah, Kelly, Kelly Sue, Kelly Sue um, Willow, but mostly helmed by Kelly yeah. Sue DeConnick. Yeah, yeah, Kelly Sue, when the first Captain Marvel came out with her writing the story, when I read that, I was like, this is perfect. This is what women need to be like. And you can see, of course, Claremont's influences in the 80s X-Men, how he got, how he portrayed women, and then later on by Louis Simonson's X-Factor run. Uh, it was an evolution. Once we got that comic, that was a perfect comic. And then, of course, we got to read Miss Marvel, and we got to read G. Willow Wilson's work, and it was just so great to see all of that. Um, yeah. I take no credit. Maybe I take a little credit. <laughs> Here, have credit. <laughs> no. uh, so, uh, basically, uh, if you read a lot of other comics, uh, you, you can read a Frank Miller story and, uh, you know, someone, uh, someone female is going to die within the first 10 pages. That's how pretty much a Miller story starts off with. But when you look at, she set up Miss Marvel issue number one, and then there was a Supergirl series that was done by Mahmoud Asrar. And uh, who's the other writer, by the way? Um, I think it was Michael Green. Michael Green. Okay, yeah. And that was one of the best series of all time. Um, and nowadays, the way you're seeing reading comics nowadays, a series that I really loved recently was uh, Supergirl being super. I read that within an hour. I got the trade paperback and I fell in love with it. I was like, the way they're doing it. And um, recently, I think Monstrous is a good example of how female uh, storytellers are, of course, putting out really great stories with proper female representation. And they actually feel like women in the stories. Yeah, I think Abbas has a really good point here, um, especially in the comics right now. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good female representation. Um, there's not that cookie cutter now trope that, oh, this is what a female should be. It's, it's very diverse. They all have their different baggages to carry and stuff, which I think is amazing. Uh, Moving on to the you know the movie spectrum or the television spectrum um, of the conversation, specifically the backlash that um, Captain Marvel has gotten by the fanboys recently. Um, of course, there were some comments made by Brie Larson that everybody's aware of. She wanted a more inclusive press junket, which I um, I do support because of the fact that when I I just remember. Um, these comments that Scarlett Johansson got when she was uh, promoting Avengers. I remember she was sitting next to Jeremy Renner and it was an IMDb um, interview and the interviewer asked her, he's like, so what was it like wearing such a tight suit and what, what did you wear under it? Did you wear any underwear under it? And I remember that look of sheer anger on her face and I remember she she shut him down. She, she told him that, you know, would you ask um, 
Chris Evans this question, his suit was equally tied. And, um, you know, would you ask anybody else this question if it was not a female? So I, I completely understand where Brie Larson was coming from in this aspect. Uh, the same one, with, uh, you know, the same happened to Gal Gadot um, on Wonder Woman. She got asked some pretty, uh, some pretty sexist questions, in my opinion, as well. And it's something that a lot of, um, you know, female actresses have to face when they are, um, you know, promoting a female superhero. And of course, now that backlash has kind of gone on to, um, uh, Captain Marvel, the movie, um, you know, the whole Rotten Tomato scandal happened. And, you know, this also kind of um, happened in the age of Wonder Woman as well. When Wonder Woman was coming out, uh, she was met with a lot of backlash. Even uh, before BVS, I remember there was some controversy regarding her. She wasn't, uh, you know, um, athletic looking enough. And, you know, uh, she quickly shut down all that hate with uh, her appearance in BVS. It was one of the most, uh, a lot of people say it was the best part of BVS. Um, so, you know, there is a lot of hate, but I feel like, and there's a lot of controversy surrounding women. It's always tough to handle um, women in the medium of television, comics, and um, movies, especially, uh, and superheroes taking that side by side, bringing that onto screen, and then to make sure that it doesn't have enough backlash. There's always going to be backlash because they're always, I don't know why they're always under such scrutiny. The same scrutiny more or less sometimes does not apply to the male heroes, uh, which is a bit tragic, but you know, that's how it is, unless it's a DC film, and then they're under all the scrutiny. So, you know, that's my feeling on this. I feel like, um, you know, when something new happens in any medium, there's always unnecessary backlash. And it takes some time to prove that backlash wrong. Case in point being Wonder Woman, and now hopefully with Captain Marvel, even Aquaman. Um, you know, one of my favorite parts of Aquaman was that scene with Mira. Uh, Mira is probably my favorite character in, in that movie. And that scene of her in the vineyard was just. Oh, it was so good. I immediately saw that um, that scene, and the first thing that I thought of was um, that scene in Iron Man where, you know, uh, Tony Stark, uh, well, Iron Man goes and, you know, that explosion moment happens, and he turns around, and, you know, you see the explosion at the back, and then you can kind of hear Lonely Island school guys don't look at explosions playing in the background, but that was such an iconic scene, and, you know, that Mira scene just reminded me of that. So, yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts on this. Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm just going to add in what Chaya is saying. Um, who was the actress that played Wasp in Ant-Man? Um, Evangeline Lilly. Yeah, Evangeline Lilly. And I saw this press junket with her, and somebody asked her, what do you think of the men that complain about you know, wearing uncomfortable outfits? How was it for you? Oh, you yeah, know? the high heels incident. Yeah, yeah. yeah. oh, my lord. And then yeah. she goes, well, A, it's because, well, men, unlike women, aren't used to looking uncomfortable wearing uncomfortable clothes to look good and she picks up her heel so essentially that was kind of funny but evangeline lily handled that like a pro yeah no that was great and she really i really like um you know her portrayal as wasp and you know she just looks so good man she is just in such peak athletic shape and just nobody gives her enough credit for that and it just it angers me uh yeah like the uh, the whole controversy over the female superheroes i think a lot of it is, you know, extremely stupid, and the criticisms and the uh, stuff—it's like it's already been addressed by Chaya and Abbas. But I mean, there, um, that those criticisms—they bury the uh, the slightly more uh, rational um, critiques that some of them are like quite, I would say, true. 
because in order to like bring that sense of inclusivity and to show you know equality sometimes like these um female characters they're for a lack of a better word they're shoehorned into stuff and you know if you want to show equality and if you want to show female empowerment you don't need to uh, blatantly put it out there and you know insult the other gender just to make the females feel empowered the females can do that on their own that's the point that's how that's how female empowerment works they don't need anyone to uh, force it on the population they don't need anyone to um, you know shove it into everyone's faces and unfortunately that's how some of the uh, things go down these days because um, there's a better way to do it and we should uh, have the females um, show everyone who's boss by their own merit and not be forced upon people and some of the better critiques are that you know let women do their own thing and don't you know make it in a way that uh, brings about controversy because then it reflects poorly on the women uh, characters and people start hating the women characters for no reason when it's you know the way that they're being treated that should be the cause for concern and not the characters themselves so we don't really uh, see that happening too often where you know that you know a character goes on their own merit and people are brought down just to bring that character up and people then end up hating that character and that just defeats the purpose of the uh, character themselves i think when chersha was talking about this the first thing that popped to my mind was the last jedi um yeah and honestly from force awakens the way they brought up finn and ray's story and then to just uh you know beat down on all the male characters just for the sake of it, where people like Poe, who's a person of color, Finn, who's a person of color, they were kind of relegated to the joke, right? Just to make the female characters stand up. And honestly, as a female, it made me really sad. And especially Luke. Um, so you had Luke, you had Poe, you had Finn. And their stories were essentially watered down just to raise up people like Haldo, Rose, and Ray. And even Rhea herself, her just her arc to me as a woman just felt it didn't feel right. It didn't feel complete. It just felt manufactured. I saw her in Force Awakens and I wanted my sisters to be like her. But then I saw her in The Last Jedi and it was just done with such an agenda to push people like Rose and um, Rey forward that I initially didn't want my sisters to be associated with someone like that. I wanted them to be like... Leia from the you know from the old series. That's that is how a female character should be strong, not the way they're being done right now. Yeah, I think too many female characters these days are pushed with an agenda rather than they're on their own uh, merit, and you know that's that gains hate. Yeah, so. exactly. I feel like you know sometimes you need to look through a glass and see that the gender. You know, the role reversal thing, it should work in somebody's favor, not to put another gender down. I would never create a character, male or female, that would otherwise put, or even, you know, who would put someone else down. It's just, it's wrong and it's just, it cheapens the character, I feel. A, re, a very overlooked uh, series, uh, most people don't look at it, uh, and one of the most, uh, I think, influential series of all time is something called Strangers in Paradise by Terry yeah, Moore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the characters are not super heroic. They've got real stories. Uh, the, they're realistically rendered visually. Um, and I couldn't possibly say that if you just want to look for good characterization, just read that. And a lot of uh, TV shows actually steal 
material from Terry Moore's series today. It's uh, very curious how to do it. Thanks, guys. That was great. Uh, <laughs> man, there's so much to take in. I'm loving this. Okay, so let's just individually in your team, individually each of you, who is your favorite um, female hero, whether they have superhero superpowers or not, superhero slash hero who is a woman in the comics? It could be any publisher. It could be any uh, strain. It doesn't matter. Alrighty, so I'm going to take this one first because I am super excited because my favorite superhero is someone that does not get a lot of love, man. I love her so much, but she does not get the love she deserves. Um, Cassandra Cain, uh, Batgirl. She is just so good. I just love how she is so, um, you know, her history is so rich um, and her origin story, her being raised side by side to kind of be the leader of the League of Assassins and being the daughter of Shiva. And then through all that, just the way she was trained under such circumstances and for her to come out the way she was, she was supposed to be this hardened killer who, you know, who wasn't even taught to speak, basically. And then, you know, she meets Bruce and then she just, from feeling nothing, she feels everything and is just the most beautiful story. And I love, I love how she, goes from this, you know, this hardened person to this member of the Bat family. And I really, really love um, the series where uh, Bruce is framed for murder, and that's where uh, Cassandra plays a very important role. And, you know, finally see her integrated into the Bat family. That actually that brought tears to my eyes because, you know, for her to just... At first, I initially loved how she would use sign language most of the times to communicate, and just for her to, you know, uh, the way she expressed her love for Bruce, it was just, she's so complicated, she doesn't just get enough love, and it irritates me, I just, I'm so happy she's finally coming to the big screen, and I just, and her suit, her OG suit was like, so good, so good, it was, it was so creepy and so lovely, I wish, I wish I could draw that all the time. So yes, that is, she is my favorite. Uh, for me, I would probably say at the top of the list, uh, it's probably Jean Grey when she's written by Louise Simonson. Uh, I think she comes off as a very realistic, plausible character. Um, I'd say after that, probably uh, Chris Claremont and Scott Lobdell handling Rogue, they do it really well. I'm an X-Men fan, so it kind of shows. For me, uh, it'll be... Uh... Wonder Woman, especially because of the uh, Justice League cartoons, and uh, yeah, pretty much Those cartoons more, are so good. more than the comics, it was the cartoons. This is a fairly loaded question for me, because <laughs> there's a bunch of them, but if I were to be honest, I think the first one that really connected me, with me was, uh, as a kid, was Jubilee from the X-Men, simply because I remember watching the X-Men animated series, and she's like a perfect gateway character for a 10-year-old. Um, but beyond that, for when it comes to comics, the first one that I really got into was Stephanie Brown as Batgirl. Uh, that whole run was just genuine fun, man. Um, Batwoman, Kate Kane as well, that's also a really fun one. Uh, the Rucka run. In yeah, 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 I the, love that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, love her, I love her costume, man. Yeah. I really love her old, like, one of her older costumes. Yeah. You know, it looks, it actually, I didn't, I was very surprised. It looked really good in the CW run. I did not think it would look good, but it did really pull it off. Yeah. The, like, the, all that leather worked to her advantage. Yeah, because it's a good silhouette, so you're not going to, yeah. it's very hard to, like, mess it up. Yeah. But, yeah, so those are some of the few ones. Otherwise, like, if you get into independence, then that list gets longer and longer, because 
just too many then there's just too many i mean i'd like to add um you know jessica jones we were discussing yeah. that she's just so good um and you know if we're talking um just comics in general i mean the star wars comics counts i'm gonna put leia in there too i'll shoehorn yeah. leia because she's always like luke and leia and especially vader in the recent marvel runs have been done so well oh man i love them so much i also like um uh, Saya from Deadly Class. Oh yeah, she, yeah, she's yeah, really, yeah, yeah, and particularly as we found her later, her conflict with her brother. That was yeah, just, mm, for sure, for sure, top for notch. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I'm so not surprised that he's a, a you're an X-Men fan. I'm so 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 not surprised. You know, majority of the times I've noticed, and especially with the veterans of comic book content, um, X-Men is usually uh, one of the main. Um, you know, favorites, and and I'm not surprised. I mean, it is one of the best superhero. What do you call it? Superhero, not title. Anyway, whatever. It's it's one of the best creations of superheroism in in its history, and I think it's a fantastic move by Marvel to have actually done that. So, it's the one thing that DC does not have, which is something as as strong in terms of its content as X Men, and such a great continuity for all these decades. Okay, so this brings me to my next question. Now, let's go to the heart of what you guys are doing. Talk to me about Reality Girl. I'd like to know, first of all, uh, before going into too much detail about the actual uh, content, uh, when did the seeds for Reality Girl get planted? Like, where is the genesis of this content, this comic? Uh, Okay, this one uh, starts with me, I guess. Um, My friend and I were basically playing around with... uh, with filters on her camera, you know those filters where you um, they, you you basically look into them and they basically alter your appearance, put a mask on them, or they make you prettier and things like that. And essentially, we were realizing that we were playing with reality in itself, or basically managing or controlling reality. Um, but then, you know, my friend and I, we were having a very long conversation. Her name is Maddie, by the way. Um, and Maddie and I were just sort of discussing about how we'd known each other for a good 15 years. And when I met her, um, she was very princessy. She was the princesses of princesses. She was expecting to get married. Um, and she had a career in fashion design. She was the all around pretty girl that every um, Pakistani uh, restaurant is looking for, basically. One day she just said, you know, this is not me because she saw things. She just spent, started spending time on streets at bus stops and started spending time eating in tabas and stuff like that. And really, this is not me. The reality around me, this, around me is the reality. Uh, so in a lot of cases, um, it's a lot about, you know, I initially thought maybe she'd do a campaign about getting work girls or and you know encouraging girls to become more streetwise because that's actually a big challenge over here uh, because the way the society is generally structured and we don't have those conversations um, so that's how it started off but then i think we had started up tara and we had watched a youtube documentary i think haya was the first employee we had along with ali and we watched a, i think it was a youtube documentary about runaway bus children uh, children that lived at, that basically spent their time in bus stops and they were being abused by bus drivers and truck truck people, and uh, so we sort of configured the story in that direction. And I think that's how we figured out this is reality, girl. 
one thing I want to add is Reality Girl isn't just restricted to one character. It's a concept, it's an idea that can be applied anywhere, any country, whether you're in Burkina Faso or you're in Dubai or you're in uh, Islamabad or you're in LA or Vancouver, or Ottawa or any of these places, right? It's a concept that can be applied anywhere. Uh, it's not just restricted to one one person or the comic character that we're presenting. It's an idea. Um, you know, I found that explanation of Reality Girls seeding very interesting, very pertinent. And I also like the the the, the added statement you just made. It's a, it's a cross-cultural, cross-boundary, cross-border concept. And I agree with you. Definitely a need for the times. And I think one of the things, just wanted to, before we go more to Reality Girl, just related to this, I find it very interesting, even if you look at Ascorb's uh, production of Muhafiz and everything, I find globally these social justice superheroes uh kind of still i feel i feel like there's still not enough mainstream adoption of them so i, I mean for example uh, even if i look I look at muhafiz for example it's a good concept it's nice but when you ask the average pakistani nobody knows about it except for a very niche group and i fear that that could happen in reality and i'm hoping it won't because you all have fantastic uh, legacy behind you you have good names and and obviously all of us who are in the industry in terms of fans with a little bit of network we can help push it but I find this is something that is a need, but it still is not being taken seriously, and I hope it does. So just my two bits about it. Um, okay, so the next question is, based on what you said, um, how did you go about building this world of Reality Girls? So this particular edition, this volume, um, what did you all think of when you were building the, the, her universe and her personality, etc.? I know you spoke about Madi, uh, so let's keep that aside. Let's talk about other things around it, you know? So I would like to hear about the world building of uh, Reality Girl. Yeah, we came with three points. One was that Oichi Ikagami, or from, uh, who's a very famous manga artist, does a lot of crime and realistic sort of things. Um, the other person I highlighted is uh, Howard Chaikin, uh, an artist who I have just unabashed admiration for and I've had the benefit of becoming his friend as of late online, so that's great. I think uh, Chaikin's uh, storytelling is unprecedented. The stuff that he's done literally changed the way we do BC comics today. And to a very lesser extent, Frank Miller, uh, not his story tropes, but some of the moves and settings he does. So it sort of resonates in a very urban environment. Yeah, so you know, I also looked at um, Jorge Zafino for some of the kind of moves I wanted to set in some of the scenes in the book. Um, ultimately, I was really trying to go for like a, a fairly, you know, back alley, Raul Pindi, Peshawar kind of look for the book. Um, make it look a little bit grimy and a little bit sketchy, but at the same time, for the character herself, I kind of wanted her to have this almost like punk rock flair to her, who were in, in the sense that she's confident enough to like walk out into the street and just be like, I'm gonna hit you in the head of the pad if you do something wrong. <laughs> and just go off with like the ultimate kind of swagger. Like, I think I literally put that on the first page in one of the panels where she's like leaning, she's looking out the window. She's not just looking out, she's kind of leaning on one of the chairs. Like she's just kind of like stalking almost all yeah, casually. Everything she does, like I, I love how Nabil in his line art, everything that he's shown, like we when we imagine Sara, um, reality girl to him, and when we imagine her, we thought of this girl who was like from this supremely, you know, privileged background, right? Like this, we're talking higher uh, class, you know, very you know, has everything in the world, right? So when somebody has everything in the world, they walk with a certain way, they talk in a certain way, they're exposed to a lot of different stuff. And Nabil perfectly brought that out in the way that she handles herself. You know, she doesn't do anything 
you know just normally she does it in this very cool way like she exudes cool which is why you can see in a lot of the panels because she's so cool everybody just gravitates towards her every you see her she's the middle in the middle of all her friends and stuff like that she just has that aura where everybody just wants to be around her um and coming to content and story and personality um shirsha and i we kind of sat down and we discussed that you know we wanted to again picture someone who has everything because when she has everything and she sees someone who has nothing how does she react to that how does she does she have empathy because we kind of wanted to draw on how we are nowadays our lack of empathy uh, especially towards homeless kids yeah. and especially towards beggars we've lost our empathy as people haven't yeah, we yeah we have and we also wanted to show that i mean even if we've lost it we could get it back yeah you know if something uh, pushes us to the point where we see okay you know this is wrong and there are things that go on that you know you have to put a stop to and you need to have the empathy for all that and you can't just uh, ignore everything that's going around you yeah i mean you know with the topic that and with the issue that we're tackling in in reality girl it's not something that we didn't know about everybody knows about it i mean even before the documentary you you know about it it's something that's established and for sara to then witness it firsthand to then say okay i have this privilege what am i going to do with this privilege what am i going to do with the power that i have am i going to take a stand am i going to do nothing so it's essentially sara could be me a part of me is sara sara is a part of me a sara is a girl on the street sara is a guy on the street sara we make sure to infuse every part of ourselves into sara that yeah she is popular she is rich she is you know she is pompous in the beginning but then when you strip her down to her bare bones she does care and that's what drives her that element of caring that realization that i need to do something it's something that we all have deep buried down inside some of us choose to show it but some of us just need to get you know get need that little nudge to go forward yeah pretty much so we wanted to add something in here that nabil pointed out and i think it's just really interesting and nabil wanted to take yeah. over so you were initially you mentioned ki how books like uh, reality girl and some stuff coming out of ascorp you know might not resonate with the with audiences outside or they might get slightly annoyed with it um is that ultimately i think khair shesha did a fairly good job in cre- in creating the writing of the character ki like she has a fairly good narrative arc that's almost transcendental of of you get the necessarily the plot itself so that i think readers can tr- truly come cr- cr- latch on to and um, <clears throat> and really resonate with so i think that kind of give, gives it a bit more of a timeless quality of a bit more of a true heroic spirit which i think never you know and we never lose interest in that's pretty much the basis of most if not all story yeah like a hero's journey in yeah, itself yeah yeah i mean it's like pretty much I mean, even wish blades. Sadly, have to mention that anyone can be wish blade. You just have to be worthy of holding yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. I'm glad you brought that up in the second comment. Okay. So, see, the thing is, um, and, and I get that. I totally get that. That's why I'm asking this question. So, uh, my next question was going to be, what can reality, what can uh, audiences expect from Reality Girl? But I want to change that in a bit. I want to ask you. So now I know this narrative. I know the narrative about uh, after reading the first chapter. I, I I get the concept of how. 
you know, you have these kids and you have reality girl going after them, Sarah, and she's doing something. But is that it? Like, what's the what's the evolution of this character going to be? And I know you're probably going to say, well, keep reading and finding out. I get that. But that's not enough, no, at the end of the day. Because, if you, for example, if you read Life of Carol Danvers or um, if you read the, sorry, Life of Cap- Captain Marvel, if you read The Death, Death of Captain Marvel, if you, even if you actually go into what I really liked in the Monica Rambeau, uh, Monica Rambeau two-issue uh, run of uh, Captain Marvel, was how it needed no origin story and needed no uh, real uh, universe creation. Her self-contained uh, white supremacy uh, content was enough. But that's a two-issue run, you know? So it's not, you don't need a lot of depth in that in terms of long-term storytelling. So where exactly is the user going to go? Where is exactly is the audience going with Reality Girl? Can you just elaborate a little bit on that so that the audience can look forward to what's going to come? You don't have to go specifics, but I'd like to have some sort of a story build up, like what's happening next? It's interesting that you should mention, um, you know, the idea of what uh, you know readers should look forward to, because this is by no means the whole journey that Sarah goes through. Um, and as Shershal will now explain, um, you know, there's so much more to the story than meets the eye. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like um, a glimpse of the journey she takes. It's like you could call this like basically it's like a, the, the bookends to the uh, whole story. And uh, when we expand upon it, it's going to be, you know, it's going to encompass the actual whole journey. And then we'll also see the ripple effects coming out from that and see how what she does inspires other uh, girls and even boys and like what it leads to and maybe it all could, you know, come together in the end. We ain't teasing anything, but maybe we are. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like we've mentioned many times on social media, this was a labor of love and this was something that, you know, we needed to address. It's all about addressing a certain issue, about starting a conversation. And, you know, Reality Girl, the pages that we've presented the, so far, it's not, this isn't the, you know, this isn't the end, this is the beginning. Uh, you know, a lot of Sarah's story is left untold and even stories on the other side of the spectrum with who she's helping and who she, of who her main antagonist is. Even that isn't fully expanded upon in this. There's just so much more to, you know, to this than meets the eye. And it just, you know, it shows and it, um, the medium and it shows, you know, how this is actually, how this actually goes on in real and how, you know, these two, you can compare the two, basically. Here, let's go into the, a bit more detail about the comics themselves and we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. Because I'm sure you guys have a long day tomorrow and you've had a long day today and you want to go home. Uh, so here's here's a question. Where can people what what's going to happen with Reality Girl? You've come up with it now. Um, what's the next step? Are you are you available in print? Are people able to buy you guys? Um, when will you be available in print? Where where can somebody go and buy you? If I'm if somebody's listening to this podcast right now, uh, and they want to go and get Reality Girl, what next? What do they do? So the comic is uh, going to be launched in a week uh, on the 9th of March. We're launching it at a great comic book store here in Islamabad called All Things Superhero. And uh, we're going to have like a signing and a meet and greets type thing. And uh, we're hoping for a digital launch next month as well. And um, basically once uh, we put it out, it's going to be free because um, we're this project, this comic is basically there to start a conversation and we don't want to capitalize on such a difficult topic and you know we want to put that difficult topic out there and make people talk about it and we think it would be wrong to you know 
monetize it because it defeats the purpose of the whole thing. So yeah, uh, we're launching it. Uh... Yeah, um, all of us are going to be there to launch. Abbas, myself, Shersha, and Nabil, and we are all personally very, very excited. Um, it's one of the first times that you know us publicly launching our you know something person something that's a passion project from Optera. It's not anything. It's it's all on, it's all us. And it's awesome because, you know, we're going to celebrate as a team and we're going to meet people or discuss it with them, put the message across in any shape or form, put Sara's story across. And we want to make sure that every facet of it shines from the content to the artwork. Oh, the artwork, man. So good. So good, Nabil. So happy for you. <laughs> yeah. So just, you know, our love is shining through through this and we hope that everybody can share through it. Um, we're going to have the physicals and then we're going to go straight into digital. So, yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing about Reality Girl that we want to talk about is the conversation. Uh, South Asian societies don't have conversations. I mean, uh, I'll be very open about it. You know, you live on a street, a guy um, is basically slightly harassing a girl. There's a drama in the neighborhood. You know, father writes it off as quotation marks, Eve teasing. Mother shows up with an affidavit from her librarian testifying, giving a testimonial to her son's pure character, blaming the girl. Uh, this is just a sample of Pakistani society or South Asian society. We don't discuss these topics, what the actual problem is. We kind of just sort of turn a blind eye, turn a blind eye and make it look all great. Uh, I mean, this is just an example of us not addressing the issue driving the conversation. And it isn't just uh, an issue in Pakistan, it's an issue all across South Asia. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a, I'm not familiar with Middle Eastern societies, but it, this, is a situ this is a story that'll work in India, it'll work in Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, uh, even Nepal. Yeah. We could pretty much get it working across all across this region. Uh, and it needs to, because yeah. if people can empathize with this one character and this one child, they'll see that the face of that child in the next homeless kid that they see. And maybe, you know, they will then take an action like Saratok. So, you know, let's see what happens. And, you know, I have faith, um, you know, um, when we were researching uh, Reality Girl and when we were uh, writing her and when we were writing the story and we saw that documentary, um, it's called Pakistan's Hidden Shame for anybody who wants to, uh, you know, uh, look at it on YouTube. Um, I would caution it's very, very hard to watch. Um, I myself could not go through the first 10 minutes without, you know, taking, putting the laptop down, taking a, you know, a break for 10 minutes. And I remember I, I sent the link to Nabil for reference and he was just mulling over it again and again and again, repeatedly on the laptop. And I admired him because I could not get through the first 10 minutes before taking a break. And he was just constantly, um, you know, watching it analyzing it, breaking it down, and kudos to you, Nabil, for, you know, just translating all of that onto screen, translating all the the viscerality and the brutality that happens every day. Yeah, I just, I wanted to kind of really get into the feel of the kind of locations and the kind of um, areas and spaces where events like these can take place and the kind of elements that kind of build, up, build it up visually so that I could portrayed as authentically as possible. Yeah, and you know, um, content-wise, um, I brought this very trained perspective to it, then Shersha brought this human perspective to it, and it was it just, it came together very beautifully. Um, you know, it's tragic what happens here, but for us to, you know, basically bring it out and show it to the world, no holds barred, it, I think it was necessary. 
Thank you, guys. That was great, and I think um, I, I think definitely many of my my audience will appreciate this as well. But I I really like the concept of reality girl. I like what you guys are doing. Um, I think from a, from an audience perspective, as a reader, the only thing I would probably want to share is uh, my opinion is that, uh, and you can throw this opinion out if you don't agree with me, but I really hope Reality Girl doesn't go down the social justice warrior kind of uh, uh, concept. I, I think it's a great idea, and I think what they're tackling is good. And as you said, there's a lot more to come, so great. I would love seeing the diversity in in her own um, uh, in her own uh, needs and and wants and 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 what's what's it called her her aspirations as well because um i love one of the things that i love about carol danvers and i mentioned this yesterday in a different podcast i was part of for captain marvel why i like carol danvers is unlike any other superhero in dc and marvel she is the most broken the most consistently uh, suffering from imposter syndrome the most um most self-questioning self-doubting uh, superhero even though she is the most powerful superhero. I mean, I think she's one of the few superheroes in Marvel who is the Superman equal of this universe. So, uh, you know, I would love to see the evolution of, of Reality Girl, and I think that is going to come. I'm really looking forward to it. Congratulations on a great uh, achievement. Um, I'm sure there's more to come, and, and I'd love to hear uh, about any new stuff coming up soon. Uh, I look forward to meeting you guys. I'll be down in Karachi soon. Um, I was unable to make it for TwinCon, but uh, let's see when I get there. Uh, thank you to uh, Salim, to everyone else, uh, and thank you, Kaya, for putting this together. Um, this is Tony signing out, and I look forward to um, to engaging with you. If any of you guys have anything else to say, I think I will end with this question. Um, what is your favorite, favorite uh comic book moment it can be any superhero any supervillain any frame anything any quote anything what is your favorite one um as for our favorite comic book moments that is a very very hard question anthony you always leave us with very very hard questions you know i thank you for hosting this podcast but my lord you have put us on the burner um who's gonna go first because i think everybody's just I, I see the look of pure horror on everybody's face as they try to disseminate which panel calls out to them the most so uh for me it's uh, uncanny x-men 174 i believe um basically uh, cyclops and madeline Pryor having a very whirlwind romance they're gonna get engaged or married and eventually i think night before i believe the night before uh, cyclops ask her ask madeline Pryor if she's a reincarnation of gene Pryor, uh madeline gene gray and uh gene at the time is dead uh, for the first time of many and um, Madeline just punches him right across the face and I read this as a nine-year-old and I was like huh I can't believe I'm reading the soap opera stuff but huh <laughs> she kicked his ass he kind of deserved it and so I think uh, kudos to Claremont Simonson and Nocenti for putting out you know, how not to make a woman angry. <laughs> um, so for me, I have two moments um, and I'm going to share both. I'm going to share both because, you know, for me, it's uh, the first one is Nightfall, um, that epic moment where Bane breaks the bat. I mean, you know, growing up as a kid, for me, Batman was 
the, the superhero because he was unbreakable. He was just, he always won. And for me to finally see him broken, it shattered me. It was like, okay, this, this guy is actually human. He can break. And that was what Bane was trying to put across as well. And it was just so amazingly done. And secondly, um, you know, another personal favorite is uh, from Matt Fraction's run of Hawkeye, where Hawkeye has um, Pizza Dog on the on the desk at the vet, and he's just saying, fix this dog. Oh, such a human moment where, you know, Hawkeye is trying to make sense of his life and the crap that's going around his life, and he's trying to, you know, fix that. And he just sees this dog, this broken dog, and he just wants that, okay, I can't fix my life, but I can fix this dog. And as someone who loves dogs and who has a rescue, it's just that resonated with me more than any other moment did. Uh, for me, it's uh, two moments as well. One's uh, Batman the Long, the Long Halloween, where Gordon, uh, Harvey Dent, and Batman are up on that roof, and they make that pact to, you know, um, take down the mob and uh, to do so by like bending the rules but not breaking them, and to see that also translated into the uh, onto the big screen and. Dark Knight, I mean, because it was a direct, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, adapted from that. So that was a big moment for me because those three, you know, putting aside their differences and, uh, you know, working together to do something much bigger than all three of them. And another moment would be from uh, The Dark Knight Returns, like Batman's monologue, uh, you know, when he defeats Superman. So, yeah, that's like epic. So I'm just going to say a moment because if we got to the, we'd be screwed. <laughs> oh yeah, don't, just, to, just, just for everyone listening, um, your question by the way broke a bunch of people here. We went into existential crises <laughs> deciding which moment was our favorite. So, <laughs> so like my predecessors before me, I too will go for two. <laughs> um, so one would be Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four and the, I think it's the last moment of it, which I guess is a spoiler, but not really, but um, it, it's like Reed Richards basically tells his son Franklin a very basic, you know, fundamental thing that's actually pretty genuine. It's, um, um, you shouldn't be afraid to fail, but to not even try it, that is unacceptable. Um, that's a pretty major saying, with it. like it's gotten me through a lot of times when I've struggled in life. Um, Another one would then be simply because of sheer awesomeness factor, and I basically am religiously, I'm a religious Batman fan, so it would be uh, Morrison's uh, story, Last Rites. It's the last two pages where the lump is basically um, narrating as Alfred, where he goes like, you know, uh, Batman's enemies will um, underestimate him for a fraction of a second too long, and then he'll show them that there's no hiding place for evil, and it's just like a badass flash page of Batman standing just before he goes to fight Darkseid. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that, those are, I think, two moments for me. The moment is elusive. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think everybody will be happy to hear this. We have a ton of Batman fans here, and it shows. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, uh, Anthony, for everything. Um, you know, thank you for having us and thank you for, you know, letting us put our love for Reality Girl out there. And, you know, this is Team Optera signing off. Thank you so much. Bye bye. So, guys, that was the team at Optera that's working on Reality Girl. Um, really happy to have had them here. I hope you guys check out their launch. If you are in the country, if you are in Islamabad on Saturday, the 9th, do go and check it out. They'll be doing signings and releases of the print version and in a month's time i'm looking forward to the digital version it's a beautiful comic the artwork is 
uh, really, really wonderful. I loved it. And more than that, it's just a story. Growing up in Karachi, I identified so much with the universe that they've built, with the problems that uh, Reality Girl is trying to fix. It just hit home. I personally take a huge uh, liking to any vengeance or any uh, vigilantism that deals with uh, abuse of children. And uh, this particular version of Reality Girl does that. So here's Tony signing off, uh, and I look forward to getting back to you next week. <laughs>